Thus therefore they went on. Mr. Greatheart and Mr. Honest went before. Christiana and her children went next. And Mr. Feeble Mind came behind, and Mr. Ready to halt with his crutches. Then said Mr. Honest, Pray, sir, now that we are upon the road, tell us some profitable things of some that have gone on pilgrimage before us. With a good will, said Greatheart. I suppose you have heard how Christian of old did meet with Apollyon in the Valley of Humiliation, and also what hard work he had to go through the Valley of the Shadow of Death. Also I think you cannot but have heard how faithful was put to it by Madam Wanton, with Adam the First, with one discontent and shame, for as deceitful villains as a man can meet with upon the road. Yes, said Mr. Honest, I believe I have heard of all this. But indeed, good faithful was hardest put to it with shame. He was an unwearied one. I said Greatheart, for as the pilgrim well said, he of all men had the wrong name. But pray, sir, said Mr. Honest, where was it that Christian and faithful met talkative? That same was also a notable one. He was a confident fool, said Greatheart, yet many follow his ways. Then said Honest, he had liked to have beguiled faithful. I said Greatheart, but Christian put him into a way quickly to find out. Thus they went on till they came to the place where Evangelist met with Christian and Faithful, and prophesied to them what should befall them at Vanity Fair. Then said their guide, Hereabouts did Christian and Faithful meet with Evangelist, who prophesied to them of their troubles, which they should meet with at Vanity Fair. Say you so, said Mr. Honest. I dare say it was a hard chapter, then, that he did read unto them. It was, said Greatheart, but he gave them encouragement withal. But what do we talk of them? They were a couple of lion-like men. They had set their faces like flint. Do not you remember how undaunted they were when they stood before the judge? Very well, said Mr. Honest. Faithful bravely suffered. So he did, said Greatheart, and as brave things come of it, for Hopeful and some others, as the story relates it, were converted by his death. Yes, said Mr. Honest, but pray go on, for you are well acquainted with things. Then said Mr. Greatheart, Above all that Christian met with after he had passed through Vanity Fair, one Byans was the arch one. Byans, said Mr. Honest, what was he? Oh, a very arch fellow, said Greatheart, a downright hypocrite, one that would be religious, which way soever the world went, but so cunning that he would be sure never to lose or suffer for it. He had his mode of religion for every fresh occasion, and his wife was as good at it as he. And he would turn and change from opinion to opinion, yea, and plead for so doing too. But as far as I could learn, he came to an ill end with his buy-ins, nor did I ever hear that any of his children were ever of any esteem with any that truly feared God. Now by this time they were come quite within sight of the town of Vanity, where Vanity Fair is kept. So when they saw that they were so near the town, they consulted with one another how they should pass through the town, and some said one thing and some another. At last Mr. Greatheart said, I have, as you may understand, often been a conductor of pilgrims through this town. Now I am acquainted with one Mr. Nason, a Cyprusian by nature, an old disciple, at whose house we may lodge. If you think good, said he, we will turn in there. Content, said Old Honest. Content, said Christiana. 
content, said Mr. Feeblemind, and so they all said. Now you must think it was even tied by that they got to the outside of the town. But Mr. Greatheart knew the way to the old man's house, so thither they came, and he called at the door. And the old man within knew his tongue so soon as ever he heard it, so he opened the door, and they all came in. Then said Nathan their host, How far have ye come today? So they said, From the house of Gaius our friend. I promise you, said he, you have come a good stitch. You may well be weary. Sit down. So they sat down. Then said their guide, Come, what cheer, sirs? I dare say you are welcome to my friend. I also, said Mr. Nathan, do bid you welcome. And whatever you want, do but say, and we will do what we can to get it for you. Mr. Honest said, Our great want a while since was harbor and good company, and now I hope we have both. Then said Mr. Nathan, For harbor you see what it is, but for good company that will appear in the trial. Well, said Greatheart, will you have the pilgrims up to their lodging? I will, said Mr. Nathan. So he turned them up to their respective places, and also showed them a very fair dining room where they might be and sup together until time they should come to go to rest. Now when they were set in their places and were a little cheery after their journey, Mr. Honest asked his landlord if there were any store of good people in the town. We have a few, said Mr. Nathan, indeed. They are but a few when compared with them on the other side. And said Mr. Honest, But how shall we do to see some of them? For the sight of good men to them that are going on pilgrimage is like the appearing of the moon and stars to them that are sailing upon the seas. Then Mr. Nathan stamped with his foot, and his daughter Grace came up. So he said unto her, Grace, go you tell my friends Mr. Contrite, Mr. Holy Man, Mr. Love Saint, Mr. Dare Not Lie, and Mr. Penitent, that I have a friend or two at my house who have a mind this evening to see them. So Grace went to call them, and they came, and after salutation made, they sat down together at the table. Then said Mr. Nason, their landlord, My neighbors, I have, as you see, a company of strangers come to my house. They are pilgrims. They come from afar and are going to Mount Zion. But who, said he, do you think this is, pointing with his finger to Christiana? It is Christiana, the wife of Christian, that famous pilgrim who, with Faithful, his brother, was so shamefully handled in our town. At that they stood amazed, saying, We little thought to see Christiana when Grace came to call us, wherefore this is a very comfortable surprise. They then asked her of her welfare, and if these young men were her husband's sons. And when she told him they were, they said, The king whom you love and serve make you as your father, and bring you where he is in peace. Then Mr. Honest, when they had all sat down, asked Mr. Contrite and the rest in what posture their town was at present. The Fruit of Watchfulness And Mr. Contrite said, You may be sure we are full of hurry in fair time. Tis hard keeping our hearts and spirits in good order when we are in a cumbered condition. He that lives in such a place as this, and has to do with such as we have, has need of an item to caution him to take heed every moment of the day. But how are your neighbors for quietness? asked Mr. Honest. And Mr. Contrite replied, They are much more moderate now than formerly. You know how Christian and faithful were used at our town. But of late, I say, they have been far more moderate. 
I think the blood of faithful lieth as a load upon them till now. For since they burned him, they have been ashamed to burn any more. In those days we were afraid to walk the street, but now we can show our heads. Then the name of a professor was odious. Now, especially in some parts of our town, for you know our town is large, religion is counted honorable. Then said Mr. Contrite to them, Pray, how fareth it with you in your pilgrimage? How stands the country affected towards you? And Mr. Honest replied, It happens to us as it happens to wayfaring men. Sometimes our way is clean, sometimes foul. Sometimes uphill, sometimes downhill. We are seldom at a certainty. The wind is not always on our back, nor is every one a friend that we meet with in the way. We have met with some notable rubs already, and what are yet behind we know not. But for the most part we find it true that has been talked of old, a good man must suffer trouble. And Mr. Contrite said, You talk of rubs. What rubs have you met with all? Nay, ask Mr. Greatheart our guide, said Mr. Honest, for he can give the best account of that. So Mr. Greatheart said, We have been beset three or four times already. First, Christiana and her children were beset by two ruffians who, they feared, would take away their lives. We were beset by giant bloody man, giant maul, and giant slaygood. Indeed, we did rather beset the last than were beset of him. And thus it was after we had some time at the house of Gaius, mine host, and of the whole church, we were minded upon a time to take our weapons with us and go and see if we could light upon any of those that were enemies to pilgrims. For we heard that there was a notable one thereabouts. Now Gaius knew his haunt better than I, because he dwelt thereabout. So we looked and looked, till at last we discerned the mouth of his cave. Then we were glad and plucked up our spirits. So we approached up to his den, and lo, when we came there, he had dragged by mere force into his net this poor man, Mr. Feeblemind, and was about to bring him to his end. But when he saw us, supposing as he thought he had another prey, he left the poor man in his house and came out. So we fell to it full sore, and he lustily laid about him. But in conclusion he was brought down to the ground, and his head was cut off, and set up by the wayside, for terror to such as should after practice such ungodliness. That I tell you the truth, here is the man himself to affirm it, who was as a lamb taken out of the mouth of the lion. Then said Mr. Feeblemind, I found this true to my cost and comfort, to my cost when he threatened to pick my bones every moment, and to my comfort when I saw Mr. Greatheart and his friends with their weapons approach so near for my deliverance. Then said Mr. Holyman, There are two things that they have need to possess who go on pilgrimage, courage and an unspotted life. If they have not courage, they can never hold on their way, and if their lives be loose, they will make the very name of the pilgrim to stink. Then said Mr. Love Saint, I hope this caution is not needful among you, but truly there are many that go upon the road who rather declare themselves strangers to pilgrimage than strangers and pilgrims in the earth. Then said Mr. Dare Not Lie, Tis true, they have neither the pilgrim's weed nor the pilgrim's courage. They go not uprightly, but all awry with their feet. One shoe goeth inward, another outward, and their hosen out behind. There is here a rag, and there a rent, 
to the disparagement of their Lord. These things, said Mr. Penitent, they ought to be troubled for, nor are the pilgrims like to have that grace upon them and their pilgrims' progress as they desire, until the way is cleared of such spots and blemishes. Thus they sat talking and spending the time until supper was set upon the table, unto which they went, and refreshed their weary bodies, so they went to rest. Now they stayed in this fair a great while at the house of Nason, who, in process of time, gave his daughter Grace unto Samuel, Christiana's son, to wife, and his daughter Martha to Joseph. The time, as I said, that they stayed here was long, for it was not now as in former times. Wherefore the pilgrims grew acquainted with many of the good people of the town, and did them what service they could. Mercy, as she was wont, labored much for the poor, wherefore their bellies and backs blessed her, and she was there an ornament to her profession. And to say the truth for Grace, Phoebe, and Martha, they were all of a very good nature, and did much good in their places. They were also all of them very fruitful, so that Christian's name, as was said before, was like to live in the world. While they lay here, there came a monster out of the woods, and slew many of the people of the town. It would also carry away their children, and teach them to suck its whelps. Now no man in the town durst so much as face this monster, but all fled when they heard the noise of his coming. The monster was like unto no beast on the earth, its body was like a dragon, and it had seven heads and ten horns. It made great havoc of children, and yet it was governed by a woman. This monster propounded conditions to men, and such men as loved their lives more than their souls accepted of those conditions, so they came under. Now this Mr. Greatheart, together with those that came to visit the pilgrims at Mr. Nason's house, entered into a covenant to go and engage this beast, if perhaps they might deliver the people of this town from the paws and mouth of this so devouring a serpent. Then did Mr. Greatheart, Mr. Contrite, Mr. Holyman, Mr. Dare Not Lie, and Mr. Penitent, with their weapons, go forth to meet him. Now the monster was at first very rampant, and looked upon these enemies with great disdain. But they so belabored him, being sturdy men at arms, that they made him make a retreat. So they came home to Mr. Nason's house again. The monster, you must know, had his certain seasons to come out in, and to make his attempts upon the children of the people of the town. Also these seasons did these valiant worthies watch him in, and did still continually assault him insomuch that in process of time he became not only wounded, but lame. Also he has not made the havoc of the townsmen's children as formerly he had done, and it is verily believed by some that this beast will die of his wound. This therefore made Mr. Greatheart and his fellows of great fame in this town, so that many of the people that wanted their taste of things yet had a reverent esteem and respect for them. Upon this account, therefore, it was that these pilgrims got not much hurt here. True, there were some of the baser sort that could see no more than a mole, nor understand any more than a beast. These had no reverence for these men, and took no notice of their valor or adventures. Well, the time grew on that the pilgrims must go on their way, wherefore they prepared for their journey. They sent for their friends, they conferred with them, they had some time set apart therein to commit each other to the protection of their prince. 
there were again that brought them of such things as they had, that were fit for the weak and the strong, for the women and the men, and so laded them with such things as were necessary. Then they set forward on their way, and their friends accompanying them so far as was convenient, they again committed each other to the protection of their king, and then parted. They therefore that were of the pilgrim's company went on, and Mr. Greatheart went before them. Now the women and children being weakly, they were forced to go as they could bear, by which means Mr. Ready to Halt and Mr. Feeble Mind had more to sympathize with their condition. When they were gone from the townsmen, and when their friends had bid them farewell, they quickly came to the place where Faithful was put to death. There, therefore, they made a stand, and thanked him that had enabled him to bear his cross so well, and the rather because they now found that they had a benefit by such manly suffering as his was. They went on, therefore, after this a good way farther, talking of Christian and faithful, and how hopeful joined himself to Christian after that faithful was dead. Now they were come up with the hill of Lucre, where the silver mind was, which took Demas off from his pilgrimage, and into which, as some think, Bayens fell and perished. Wherefore they considered that. But when they were come to the old monument that stood over against the hill Lucre, to wit, the pillar of salt, they stood also within view of Sodom and its stinking lake. They marveled, as did Christian before, that men of that knowledge and ripeness of wit as they were should be so blind as to turn aside here. Only they considered again that nature is not affected with the harms that others have met with, especially if that thing upon which they look has an attracting virtue upon the foolish eye. Chapter 8 I saw now that they went on till they came at the river that was on this side of the delectable mountains, to the river where the fine trees grow on both sides, and whose leaves, if taken inwardly, are good against surfeits, where the meadows are green all the year long, and where they might lie down safely. By this riverside, in the meadow, there were coats and foals for sheep, a house built for the nourishing and bringing up of those lambs, the babes of those women that go on pilgrimage. Also there was here one that was entrusted with them, who could have compassion, and that could gather these lambs with his arm, and carry them in his bosom, and that could gently lead those that were with young. Now to the care of this man, Christiana admonished her four daughters to commit their little ones, that by these waters they might be housed, harbored, succored, and nourished, and that none of them might be lacking in time to come. This man, if any of them go astray or be lost, he will bring them again. He will also bind up that which was broken, and will strengthen them that are sick. Here they will never want meat and drink and clothing. Here they will be kept from thieves and robbers. For this man will die before one of those committed to his trust shall be lost. Besides, here they shall be sure to have good nurture and admonition and shall be taught to walk in right paths, and that, you know, is a favor of no small account. Also here, as you see, are delicate waters, pleasant meadows, dainty flowers, variety of trees, and such as bear wholesome fruit, fruit not like that that Matthew ate of, that fell over the wall out of Beelzebub's garden, but fruit that procureth health where there is none, and that continueth and increaseth it where it is. 
So they were content to commit their little ones to him, and that which was also an encouragement to them so to do, was for that all this was to be at the charge of the king, and so was as an hospital for young children and orphans. Now they went on, and when they were come to Bypath Meadow, to the stile over which Christian went with his fellow hopeful, when they were taken by giant despair and put into Doubting Castle, they sat down and consulted what was best to be done. To wit, now they were so strong, and had got such a man as Mr. Greatheart for their conductor, whether they had not best make an attempt upon the giant, demolish his castle, and if there were any pilgrims in it to set them at liberty before they went any farther. So one said one thing, and another said the contrary. One questioned if it were lawful to go upon unconsecrated ground. Another said they might, providing their end was good. But Mr. Greatheart said, Though that assertion offered last cannot be universally true, yet I have commandment to resist sin, to overcome evil, to fight the good fight of faith. And I pray, with whom should I fight this good fight, if not with giant despair? I will therefore attempt the taking away of his life, and the demolishing of Doubting Castle. Then said he, Who will go with me? Then said Old Honest, I will. And so will we too, said Christiana's four sons, Matthew, Samuel, Joseph, and James, for they were young men and strong. So they left the women in the road, and with them Mr. Feeblemind and Mr. Ready to Halt with his crutches, to be their guard until they came back. For in that place, though giant despair dwelt so near, they keeping in the road, a little child might lead them. So Mr. Greatheart, Old Honest, and the four young men went up to go to Doubting Castle to look for giant despair. When they came at the castle gate, they knocked for entrance with an unusual noise. At that the old giant comes to the gate and diffidence his wife follows. Then said he, Who and what is he that is so hardy as after this manner to molest the giant despair? Mr. Greatheart replied, It is I, Greatheart, one of the king of the celestial country's conductors of pilgrims to their place, and I demand of thee that thou open thy gates for my entrance. Prepare thyself also to fight, for I am come to take away thy head and to demolish Doubting Castle. Now giant despair, because he was a giant, thought no man could overcome him. And again he thought, Since heretofore I have made a conquest of angels, shall Greatheart make me afraid? So he harnessed himself and went out. He had a cap of steel upon his head, a breastplate of fire girded to him, and he came out in iron shoes with a great club in his hand. Then these six men made up to him and beset him from behind and before. Also, when Diffidence the giantess came up to help him, old Mr. Honest cut her down at one blow. Then they fought for their lives, and Giant Despair was brought down to the ground, but was very loath to die. He struggled hard and had, as they say, as many lives as a cat, but Greatheart was his death, for he left him not till he had severed his head from his shoulders. Then they fell to demolishing Doubting Castle, and that, you know, might with ease be done since giant despair was dead. They were seven days in destroying of that, and in it of pilgrims they found one Mr. Despondency, almost starved to death, and one much afraid his daughter. These two they saved alive.
but it would have made you wonder to have seen the dead bodies that lay here and there in the castle yard, and how full of dead men's bones the dungeon was. When Mr. Greatheart and his companions had performed this exploit, they took Mr. Despondency and his daughter, much afraid, into their protection, for they were honest people, though they were prisoners in Doubting Castle, to that tyrant, Giant Despair. They therefore, I say, took with them the head of the giant, for his body they had buried under a heap of stones, and down to the road and to their companions they came, and showed them what they had done. Now when feeble mind and ready to halt saw that it was the head of giant despair indeed, they were very happy and merry. Now Christiana, if need was, could play upon the viol, and her daughter Mercy upon the lute. So, since they were so merry disposed, she played them a lesson, and ready to halt would dance. So he took despondency's daughter, much afraid, by the hand, and to dancing they went in the road. True, he could not dance without one crutch in his hand, but I promise you he footed it well. Also the girl was to be commended, for she answered the music handsomely. As for Mr. Despondency, the music was not so much to him. He was for feeding rather than dancing, for that he was almost starved. So Christiana gave him some of her bottle of spirits for present relief, and then prepared him something to eat. And in a little time the old gentleman came to himself and began to be finally revived. Now I saw in my dream, when all these things were finished, Mr. Greatheart took the head of giant despair and set it upon a pole by the highway side, right over against the pillar that Christian erected for a caution to pilgrims that came after to take heed of entering into his grounds. Then he writ under it, upon a marble stone, these verses following. This is the head of him whose name only in former times did pilgrims terrify. His castles down, and diffidence his wife, brave Mr. Greatheart has bereft of life. Despondency, his daughter much afraid, Greatheart for them also the man has played. Who hereof doubts, if he'll but cast his eye up hither, may his scruples satisfy. This head also, when doubting cripples dance, doth show from fears they have deliverance. When these men had thus bravely showed themselves against Doubting Castle, and had slain giant despair, they went forward, and went on till they came to the delectable mountains, where Christian and Hopeful refreshed themselves with the varieties of the place. They also acquainted themselves with the shepherds there who welcomed them, as they had done Christian before, unto the delectable mountains. Now the shepherds, seeing so great a train follow Mr. Greatheart, for with him they were well acquainted, they said unto him, Good sir, you have got a goodly company here. Pray, where did you find all these? Then Mr. Greatheart replied, First, here is Christiana and her train, her sons and her sons' wives, who, like the wain, keep by the pole and do by compass steer from sin to grace, else they had not been here. Next, here's old honest come on pilgrimage, ready to halt too, who I dare engage, true-hearted is, and so is feeble mind, who willing was not to be left behind. Despondency, good man, is coming after, and so also is much afraid his daughter. May we have entertainment here, or must we go farther? Let's know whereon to trust. Then said the shepherds, This is a comfortable company. You are welcome to us. 
for we have for the feeble as well as for the strong. Our prince has an eye to what is done to the least of these. Therefore, infirmity must not be a block to our entertainment. So they had them to the palace door and said to them, Come in, Mr. Feeble Mind, come in. Mr. Ready Halt, come in. Mr. Despondency and Mrs. Much Afraid, his daughter, come in. These, Mr. Greatheart, said the shepherds to the guide, we call in by name, for that they are most subject to draw back. But as for you and the rest that are strong, we leave you to your wanted liberty. Then said Mr. Greatheart, This day I see that grace does shine in your faces, and that you are the Lord's shepherds indeed, for that you have not pushed these disease neither with side nor shoulders, but have rather strewed their way into the palace with flowers, as you should. So the feeble and weak went in, and Mr. Greatheart and the rest did follow. When they were also sat down, the shepherd said to those of the weaker sort, What is it that you would have? For, said they, all things must be managed here for the supporting of the weak, as well as the warning of the unruly. So they made them a feast of things easy of digestion, and that were pleasant to the palate and nourishing, the which, when they had received, they went to their rest, each one respectively unto his proper place. When the morning was come, because the mountains were high and the day clear, and because it was the custom of the shepherds to show the pilgrims before their departure some rarities, therefore, after they were ready and had refreshed themselves, the shepherds took them out into the fields and showed them first what they had showed to Christian before. Then they had them to some new places. The first was to Mount Marvel, where they looked and beheld a man at a distance that tumbled the hills about with words. Then they asked the shepherds what that should mean. So they told them that that man was the son of Mr. Great Grace, of whom you read in the first part of the records of the Pilgrim's Progress, and he is set down there to teach the pilgrims how to believe, or to tumble out of their ways with difficulties they should meet with, by faith. Then said Mr. Greatheart, I know him, he is a man above many. Then they had them to another place called Mount Innocent, and there they saw a man clothed all in white, and two men, prejudice and ill-will, continually casting dirt upon him. Now behold the dirt, whatsoever they cast at him, would in a little time fall off again, and his garment would look as clear as if no dirt had been cast thereat. Then said the pilgrims, What means this? The shepherds answered, This man is named Godly Man and this garment is to show the innocency of his life. Now those that throw dirt at him are such as hate his well-doing, but, as you see, the dirt will not stick upon his clothes. So it shall be with him that liveth truly innocently in the world. Whoever they be that would make such men dirty, they labor all in vain, for God, by that a little time is spent, will cause that their innocence shall break forth as the light, and their righteousness as the noonday. Then they took them and had them to Mount Charity, where they showed them a man that had a bundle of cloth lying before him, out of which he cuts coats and garments for the poor that stood about him. Yet his bundle, or roll of cloth, was never the less. Then said they, What should this be? This is, said the shepherds, to show you that he who has a heart to give of his labor to the poor shall never want wherewithal. He that watereth shall be watered himself, 
and the cake that the widow gave to the prophet did not cause that she had ever the less in her barrel. They had them also to a place where they saw one fool and one want wit, washing of an Ethiopian, with intention to make him white. But the more they washed him, the blacker he was. Then they asked the shepherds what that should mean. So they told them, saying, Thus shall it be with the vile person. All means used to get such an one a good name shall, in conclusion, tend but to make him more abominable. Thus it was with the Pharisees, and so shall it be with all hypocrites. Then said Mercy, the wife of Matthew, to Christiana, her mother, Mother, I would, if it might be, see the hole in the hill, or that commonly called the byway to hell. So her mother brake her mind to the shepherds. Then they went to the door. It was in the side of a hill, and they opened it, and did Mercy hearken a while. So she hearkened, and heard one saying, Cursed be my father for holding of my feet back from the way of peace and life. And another said, Oh, that I had been torn in pieces before I had, to save my life, lost my soul. And another said, If I were to live again, how would I deny myself rather than come to this place? Then there was as if the very earth groaned and quaked under the feet of this young woman for fear. So she looked white and came trembling away, saying, Blessed is he and she that are delivered from this place. Now when the shepherds had showed them all these things, then they had them back to the palace and entertaining them with what the house could afford. But Mercy, being a young and breeding woman, longed for something that she saw there, but was ashamed to ask. Her mother-in-law then asked her why she ailed, for she looked as one not well. Then said Mercy, There is a looking-glass hangs up in the dining-room, off of which I cannot take my mind. If therefore I have it not, I think I shall miscarry. Then said her mother, I will mention thy wants to the shepherds, and they will not deny it thee. But she said, I am ashamed that these men should know that I longed. Nay, my daughter, said she, it is no shame but a virtue to long for such a thing as that. So Mercy said, Then, mother, if you please, ask the shepherds if they are willing to sell it. It was the word of God. Now the glass was one of a thousand. It would present a man one way with his own features exactly, and turn it but another way, and it would show one the very face and similitude of the prince of pilgrims himself. Yea, I have talked with them that can tell, and they have said that they have seen the very crowns of thorns upon his head by looking in that glass. They have therein also seen the holes in his hands, in his feet, and in his side. Yea, such an excellency is there in this glass, that it will show him to one where they have a mind to see him, whether living or dead, whether in earth or in heaven, whether in a state of humiliation or in his exaltation, whether coming to suffer or coming to reign. Christiana therefore went to the shepherds apart. Now the names of the shepherds were knowledge, experience, watchful, and sincere, and said to them, there is one of my daughters, a breeding woman, that I think doth long for something that she has seen in the house, and she thinks that she will miscarry if she should by you be denied. Then experience said, Call her, call her. She shall assuredly have what we can help her to. 
So they called her and said to her, Mercy, what is that thing thou wouldst have? Then she blushed and said, The great glass that hangs up in the dining room. So Sincere ran and fetched it, and with a joyful consent it was given her. Then she bowed her head and gave thanks and said, By this I know that I have obtained favor in your eyes. They also gave to the other young women such things as they desired, and to their husbands great commendations, for that they joined with great heart to the slaying of giant despair and the demolishing of Doubting Castle. About Christiana's neck the shepherds put a bracelet, and so they did about the necks of her four daughters. Also they put earrings in their ears and jewels on their foreheads. When they were minded to go hence, they let them go in peace, but gave not to them those certain cautions which before were given to Christian and his companion. The reason was, for that these had great heart to be their guide, who was one that was well acquainted with things, and so could give them their cautions more seasonably, to wit, even then when the danger was nigh, the approaching. What cautions Christian and his companions had received of the shepherds, they had also lost by that the time was come that they had need to put them in practice. Wherefore here was the advantage that this company had over the other. From hence they went on singing, and they said, Behold how fitly are the stages set for the relief that pilgrims are become, and how they us receive without one let, that make the other life our mark and home. What novelties they have, to us they give, that we, though pilgrims, joyful lives may live. They do upon us, too, such things bestow, that show we pilgrims are, where'er we go. When they were gone from the shepherds, they quickly came to the place where Christian met with one turnaway, that dwelt in the town of apostasy. Wherefore of him Mr. Greatheart, their guide, did now put them in mind, saying, This is the place where Christian met with one turnaway, who carried with him the character of his rebellion at his back. And this I have to say concerning this man. He would hearken to no counsel, but, once falling, persuasion could not stop him. When he came to the place where the cross and the sepulchre were, he did meet with one that bid him look there, but he gnashed with his teeth and stamped, and said he was resolved to go back to his own town. Before he came to the gate he met with evangelist, who offered to lay hands on him, and to turn him into the way again. But this turnaway resisted him, and having done much despite unto him, he got away over the wall, and so escaped his hand. Then they went on, and just at the place where little faith formerly was robbed, there stood a man with his sword drawn, and his face all bloody. Then said Mr. Greatheart, Who art thou? The man made answer, saying, I am one whose name is valiant for truth. I am a pilgrim, and am going to the celestial city. Now as I was in my way, there were three men did beset me, and propounded unto me these three things. One, whether I would become one of them. Two, or go back from whence I came. Or three, or die upon the place. To the first I answered, I had been a true man a long season, and therefore it could not be expected that I should now cast in my lot with thieves. Then they demanded what I should say to the second. So I told them that the place from whence I came, had I not found in commodity there, I had not forsaken at all. 
but finding it altogether unsuitable to me and very unprofitable for me, I forsook it for this way. Then they asked me what I said to the third, and I, and I told them my life cost more dear far than that I should lightly give it away. Besides, you have nothing to do thus to put things to my choice. Wherefore, at your peril, be it if you meddle. Then these three, to wit, wild-head, inconsiderate and pragmatic, drew upon me, and I also drew upon them. So we fell to it one against three, for the space of above three hours. They have left upon me, as you see, some of the marks of their valor, and have also carried away with them some of mine. They are but just now gone. I suppose they might, as the saying is, hear your horse dash, and so they betook them to flight. So said Mr. Greatheart, but here were great odds, three against one. Tis true, said Mr. Valiant, but little or more are nothing to him that has the truth on his side. Though an host should encamp against me, said one, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this I will be confident. Besides, said he, I have read in some records that one man has fought an army, and how many did Samson slay with the jawbone of an ass? Then said the guide, Why did you not cry out that some might have come in for your help? So I did to my king, said Mr. Valiant, who I knew could hear me and afford invisible help, and that was sufficient for me. Then said Mr. Greatheart to Mr. Valiant for truth, Thou hast worthily behaved thyself. Let me see thy sword. So he showed it him. When he had taken it in his hand and looked thereupon a while, he said, Ha! It is a right Jerusalem blade. And then Mr. Valiant for truth said, It is so. Let a man have one of these blades with a hand to wield it and skill to use it, and he may venture upon an angel with it. He need not fear its holding if he can but tell how to lay on. Its edges will never blunt. It will cut flesh and bones and soul and spirit and all. And said Mr. Greatheart, But you fought a great while. I wonder you are not weary. The word, the faith, blood. Then said Mr. Valiant for truth, I fought till my sword did cleave to my hand, and when they were joined together, as if a sword grew out of my arm, and when the blood ran through my fingers, then I fought with the most courage. Thou hast done well, said Mr. Greatheart, thou hast resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Thou shalt abide by us, come in and go out with us, for we are thy companions. Then they took him, washed his wounds, and gave him of what they had to refresh him, and so they went on together. Now as they went on, because Mr. Greatheart was delighted in him, for he loved one greatly that he found to be a man of his hands, and because there were in company them that were feeble and weak, therefore he questioned with him about many things, at first what countryman he was. And Mr. Valiant for truth said, I am of dark land, for there I was born, and there my father and mother are still. Dark land, said the guide, doth not that lie upon the same coast with the city of destruction? Yes, it does, said Mr. Valiant for truth. Now that which caused me to come on pilgrimage was this. We had one Mr. Telltruth come into our parts, and he told it about what Christian had done, that went from the city of destruction, 
namely, how he had forsaken his wife and children and had betaken himself to a pilgrim's life. It was also confidently reported how he had killed a serpent that did come out to resist him in his journey, and how he got through to whither he intended. It was also told what welcome he had at all his lord's lodgings, especially when he came to the gates of the celestial city, for there, said the man, he was received with sound of trumpet by a company of shining ones. He told also how all the bells in the city did ring for joy at his reception, and what golden garments he was clothed with, with many other things that now I shall forbear to relate. In a word, that man so told the story of Christian and his travels, that my heart fell into a burning haste to be gone after him, nor could father or mother stay me. So I got from them, and am come thus far on my way. You came in at the gate, did you not? asked Greatheart. Yes, yes I did, said Valiant. For the same man also told us that all would be nothing if we did not begin to enter this way at the gate. Look you, said the guide to Christiana, the pilgrimage of your husband, with what he has gotten thereby, is spent abroad far and near. Then said Mr. Valiant for truth, Why, is this Christian's wife? Yes, that it is, said Greatheart, and these also are his four sons. What, and going on pilgrimage too, said Valiant for truth? Yes, verily, remarked Greatheart, they are following after. It glads me at heart, said Mr. Valiant. Good man, how joyful will he be when he shall see them that would not go with him, yet to enter after him in at the gates into the city. Then said Greatheart, Without doubt it will be a comfort to him, for next to the joy of seeing himself there, it will be a joy to meet there his wife and children. Then said Valiant, But now you are upon that, pray, let me hear your opinion about it. Some make a question whether we shall know one another when we are there. So Greatheart remarked, Do they think they shall know themselves, then, or that they shall rejoice to see themselves in that bliss? And if they think they shall know and do this, why not know others, and rejoice in their welfare also? Again, since relations are our second self, though that state will be dissolved there, yet may it not be rationally concluded that we shall be more glad to see them there than to see they are wanting. Then said Mr. Valiant, Well, I perceive whereabouts you are as to this. Have you any more things to ask me about my beginning to come on pilgrimage? Then said Greatheart, Yes. Were your father and mother willing that you should become a pilgrim? Oh, no, said Valiant. They used all means imaginable to persuade me to stay at home. Why, what could they say against it? asked Greatheart. They said it was an idle life, and if I myself were not inclined to sloth and laziness, I would never countenance a pilgrim's condition. So Greatheart said, And what did they say else? Why, said Valiant, they told me that it was a dangerous way. Yes, the most dangerous way in the world, said they, is that which the pilgrims go. And then said Greatheart, Did they show you wherein this way is so dangerous? Yes, and that in many particulars, said Valiant. Name some of them. Then said Valiant, They told me of the sloth of despond, where Christian was well nigh smothered. They told me that there were archers standing ready in Beelzebub's castle to shoot them that should knock at the wicket gate for entrance. They told me also of the wood and dark mountains, of the hill of difficulty, of the lions, and also of the three giants, Bloody Man, Maul, and Slaygood. 
They said, moreover, that there was a foul fiend haunted the valley of humiliation, and that Christian was by him almost bereft of life. Besides, said they, you must go over the valley of the shadow of death, where the hobgoblins are, where the light is darkness, where the way is full of snares, pits, traps, and gins. They told me also of giant despair, of doubting castle, and of the ruin that the pilgrims met with there. Further, they said, I must go over the enchanted ground, which was dangerous, and that after all this I should find a river, over which I should find no bridge, and that that river did lie betwixt me and the celestial country. And was this all? asked Greatheart. No, they also told me that this way was full of deceivers and of persons that laid wait there to turn good men out of the path. But how did they make that out? asked Greatheart. They told me that Mr. Worldly Wiseman did there lie in wait to deceive. They also said that there were formality and hypocrisy continually on the road. They said also that Bayens, Talkative, or Demas would go near to gather me up, that the flatterer would catch me in his net, or that with green-headed ignorance I would presume to go on to the gate, from whence he was sent back to the hole that was in the side of the hill, and made to go the byway to hell. Then said Greatheart, I promise you, this was enough to discourage you. But did they make an end here? No, stay, said Valiant. They told me also of many that had tried that way of old, and that had gone a great way therein, to see if they could find something of the glory there that so many had so much talked of from time to time, and how they came back again, and befooled themselves for setting a foot out of doors in that path, to the satisfaction of all the country." and they named several that did so, as obstinate and pliable, mistrust and timorous, turn away and old atheist, with several more, who they said, had some of them gone far to see what they could find, but not one of them found so much advantage by going as a mounted to a weight of a feather. Then said Greatheart, said they anything more to discourage you? Yes, replied Valiant, they told me of one Mr. Fearing, who was a pilgrim, and how he found this way so solitary that he never had a comfortable hour therein. Also that Mr. Despondency had liked to have been starved therein. Yea, and also, which I had almost forgot, that Christian himself, about whom there had been such a noise, after all his ventures for a celestial crown, was certainly drowned in the Black River, and never went a foot farther, however it was smothered up. And did none of these things discourage you? asked Greatheart. No, said Valiant, they seemed but as so many nothings to me. And how came that about? asked Greatheart. Why, I still believed what Mr. Telltruth had said, and that carried me beyond them all. Then this was your victory, said Greatheart, even your faith. It was so, replied Valiant. I believed, and therefore came out, got into the way, fought all that set themselves against me, and by believing am come to this place. Who would true valor see, let him come hither. One here will constant be, come wind, come weather. There's no discouragement, shall make him once relent, his first avowed intent to be a pilgrim. Whoso beset him round with dismal stories, do but themselves confound, his strength the more is. No lion him fright, he'll with a giant fight, but he will have a right to be a pilgrim. Hobgoblin nor foul fiend can daunt his spirit. He knows he at the end shall life inherit. Then fancies fly away, 
He'll fear not what men say. He'll labor night and day to be a pilgrim. Chapter 9 By this time they were got to the enchanted ground, where the air naturally tended to make one drowsy. And that place was all grown over with briars and thorns, excepting here and there where was an enchanted arbor, upon which if a man sits, or in which if a man sleeps, it is a question, say some, whether ever he will rise or wake again in this world. Over this forest, therefore, they went, both one and another, and Mr. Greatheart went before, for that he was the guide, and Mr. Valiant for truth came behind, being rearguard, for fear lest peradventure some fiend or dragon or giant or thief should fall upon their rear and so do mischief. They went on here, each man with his sword drawn in his hand, for they knew it was a dangerous place. Also they cheered up one another as well as they could. Feeble mind, Mr. Greatheart commanded, should come up after him, and Mr. Despondency was under the eye of Mr. Valiant. Now they had not gone far, but a great mist and darkness fell upon them all, so that they could scarce, for a great while, see the one the other. Wherefore they were forced, for some time, to feel for one another by words, for they walk not by sight. But any one must think that here was but sorry going for the best of them all, but how much worse for the women and children, who both of feet and heart were but tender. Yet so it was that through the encouraging words of him that led in the front, they made a pretty good shift to wag along. The way also was here very wearisome through dirt and shabbiness, nor was there on all this ground so much as one inn or lodging house therein to refresh the feebler sort. Here therefore was grunting and puffing and sighing. While one tumbleth over a brush, another sticks fast in the dirt, and the children, some of them, lost their shoes in the mire. While one cries out, I am down, and another, Ho, where are you? And a third, The bushes have got such fast hold on me, I think I cannot get away from them. Then they came at an arbor, warm and promising much refreshing to the pilgrims, for it was finely wrought above head, beautified with greens, furnished with benches and settles. It also had in it a soft couch, whereon the weary might lean. This, you must think, all things considered, was tempting. For the pilgrims already began to be foiled with the badness of the way, but there was not one of them that made so much as a motion to stop there. Yes, for aught I could perceive, they continually gave so good heed to the advice of their guide, and he did so faithfully tell them of dangers, and and of the nature of dangers when they were at them, that usually, when they were nearest to them, they did most pluck up their spirits, and hurting one another to deny the flesh. This arbor was called the Slothful's Friend, on purpose to allure, if it might be, some of the pilgrims there to take up their rest when weary. I saw then in my dream that they went on in this their solitary ground, till they came to a place at which a man is apt to lose his way. Now though when it was light their guide could well enough tell how to miss those ways that led wrong, yet in the dark he was put to a stand. But he had in his pocket a map of all ways leading to or from the celestial city. Wherefore he struck a light, for he also never goes without his tinderbox, and takes a view of his book or map, which bids him be careful in that place to turn to the right-hand way. And had he not here been careful to look at his map, they had in all probability been smothered in the mud, for just a little beyond them, 
and that at the end of the cleanest way, too, was a pit, none knows how deep, full of nothing but mud, there made on purpose to destroy the pilgrims in. God's Book Then thought I with myself, Who that goeth on pilgrimage but would have one of those maps about him, that he may look, when he is at a stand, which is the way he must take? They went on then in this enchanted ground, till they came to where was another arbor, and it was built by the highway side. And in that arbor there lay two men, whose names were Heedless and Too Bold. These two went thus far on pilgrimage, but here, being wearied with their journey, they sat down to rest themselves, and so fell fast asleep. When the pilgrims saw them, they stood still and shook their heads, for they knew that the sleepers were in a pitiful case. Then they consulted what to do, whether to go on and leave them in their sleep, or to step to them and try to awake them. So they concluded to go to them and wake them, that is, if they could, but with this caution, namely, to take heed that themselves did not sit down, nor embrace the offered benefit of that arbor. So they went in and spake to the men, and called each one by his name, for the guide, it seems, did know them, but there was no voice or answer. Then the guide did shake them, and do what he could to disturb them. Then said one of them, I will pay you when I take my money, at which the guide shook his head. I will fight so long as I can hold my sword in my hand, said the other. At that, one of the children laughed. Then said Christiana, What is the meaning of this? The guide said, They talk in their sleep. If you strike them, beat them, or whatever else you do to them, they will answer you after this fashion. Or, as one of them said in old time, when the waves of the sea did beat upon him, and he slept as one upon the mast of the ship, when shall I awake? I will seek it yet again. You know, when men talk in their sleep, they say anything but their words are not governed either by faith or reason. There is an incoherency in their words now, as there was before betwixt their going on pilgrimage and sitting down here. This, then, is the mischief of it. When heedless ones go on pilgrimage, tis twenty to one, but they are served thus. For this enchanted ground is one of the last refuges that the enemy to pilgrims has. Wherefore it is, as you see, placed almost at the end of the way and so it standeth against us with the more advantage. For when thinks the enemy will these fools be so desirous to sit down as when they are weary, and when so like to be weary as when almost at their journey's end? Therefore it is, I say, that the enchanted ground is placed so near to the land of Beulah, and so near the end of their race. Wherefore let pilgrims look to themselves, lest it happen to them as it has done to these, that, as you see, are fallen asleep, and none can wake them. The Light of the Word Then the pilgrims desired with trembling to go forward, only they prayed their guide to strike a light, that they might go the rest of the way by the help of the light of the lantern. So he struck a light, and they went by the help of that through the rest of the way, though the darkness was very great. But the children began to be sorely weary, and they cried out to him that loveth pilgrims to make their way more comfortable. So, by that they had gone a little farther, a wind arose that drove away the fog, so the air became more clear. Yet they were not off by much of the enchanted ground, only now they could see one another better, and the way wherein they should walk. Now when they were almost at the end of this ground, they perceived that a little before them was a solemn noise 
as of one that was much concerned. So they went on and looked before them, and behold they saw, as they thought, a man upon his knees, with his hands and eyes lift up, and speaking as they thought, earnestly to one that was above. They drew nigh but could not tell what he said, so they went softly till he had done. When he had done, he got up and began to run towards the celestial city. Then Mr. Greatheart called after him, saying, So ho, friend, let us have your company, if you go, as I suppose you do, to the celestial city. So the man stopped, and they came up to him. But as soon as Mr. Honest saw him, he said, I know this man. Then said Mr. Valiant for truth, Tell us, who is it? It is one, said he, that comes from whereabout I dwelt. His name is Stanfast. He is certainly a right good pilgrim. So they came up one to another, and presently Stanfast said to old Honest, Ho, Father Honest, are you there? I, said he, that I am, as sure as you are there. Right glad am I, said Mr. Stanfast, that I have found you on this road. And as glad am I, said the other, that I espied you upon your knees. Then Mr. Stanfast blushed and said, But why, did you see me? Yes, that I did, said the other, and with my heart was glad at that sight. Why, what did you think, said Stanfast? Think, said Old Honest, what should I think? I thought we had an honest man upon the road, and therefore should have his company by and by. If you thought not amiss, said Stanfast, how happy am I. But if I be not as I should, I alone must bear it. They found him at prayer. That is true, said the other, but your fear doth further confirm me that things are right betwixt the prince of pilgrims and your soul. For he saith, Blessed is the man that feareth always. Then said Valiant for truth, Well, but, brother, I pray thee, tell us what was it that was the cause of thy being upon thy knees even now. Was it for that some special mercy laid obligations upon thee, or how? What it was that fetched him upon his knees? Then said Mr. Stanfast, Why, we are as you see upon the enchanted ground, and as I was coming along, I was musing with myself of what a dangerous road the road in this place was, and how many that had come even thus far on pilgrimage had here been stopped and been destroyed. I thought also of the manner of the death with which this place destroys men. Those that die here die of no violent distemper. The death which such die is not grievous to them. For he that goeth away in such a sleep begins that journey with desire and pleasure. Yea, such acquiesce in the will of that disease. Then Mr. Honest, interrupting of him, said, Did you see the two men asleep in the arbor? Madam Bubble, or this vain world. Then Stanfast said, Aye, aye, I saw heedless and too bold there, and for aught I know, there they will lie till they rot. But let me go on in my tale. As I was thus musing, as I said, there was one in very pleasant attire, but old, who presented herself to me and offered me three things, to wit, her body, her purse, and her bed. Now the truth is, I was both a weary and sleepy. I am also as poor as an allet, and that perhaps the witch knew. Well, I repulsed her once or twice, but she put by my repulses and smiled. Then I began to be angry, but she mattered that nothing at all. Then she made offers again and said, If I would be ruled by her, she would make me great and happy. For, said she, I am the mistress of the world, and men are made happy by me. 
Then I asked her name, and she told me it was Madame Bubble. This set me further from her, but she still followed me with enticements. Then I betook me, as you saw, to my knees, with my hands lift up in cries. I prayed to him that had said he would help. So just as you came up, the gentlewoman went her way. Then I continued to give thanks for this my great deliverance, for I verily believe she intended no good, but rather sought to make stop of me in my journey. Then said Mr. Honest, Without doubt her designs were bad, but stay, now talk of her. Methinks I either have seen her or have read some story of her. Perhaps you have done both, said Stanfast. Then said Mr. Honest, Madam Bubble, is she not a tall, comely dame, somewhat of a swarthy complexion? Right, you hit it. She is just such a one, said Stanfast. Does she not speak very smoothly and give you a smile at the end of a sentence? You fall right upon it, said Stanfast, for these are her very actions. Then said Mr. Honest, Does she not wear a great purse by her side, and is not her hand often in it, fingering her money, as if that was her heart's delight? Tis just so, said Stanfast. Had she stood by all this while, you could not more amply have set her forth before me, nor have better described her features. Then said Honest, Then he that drew her picture was a good limner, and he that wrote of her said true. The World Then said Greatheart, This woman is a witch, and it is by virtue of her sorceries that this ground is enchanted. Whoever doth lay his head down in her lap had as good lay it down upon that block over which the axe doth hang, and whoever lay their eyes upon her beauty are accounted the enemies of God. This is she that maintains in their splendor all those that are the enemies of the pilgrims. Yea, this is she that has brought off many a man from the pilgrim's life. She is a great gossiper. She is always, both she and her daughters, at one pilgrim's heels or other, now commending and then preferring the excellencies of this life. She is a bold and impudent slut. She will talk with any man. She always laughs poor pilgrims to scorn, but highly commends the rich. If there be one cunning to get money in a place, she will speak well of him from house to house. She loves banqueting and feasting mainly well. She is always at one full table or another. She has given it out in some places that she is a goddess, and therefore some do worship her. She has her times and open places of cheating, and she will say and avow it that none can show a good comparable to hers. She promises to dwell with children's children if they will but love her and make much of her. She will cast out of her purse gold like dust, in some places and to some persons, she loves to be sought after, spoken well of, and to lie in the bosoms of men. She is never weary of commending her commodities, and she loves them most that think best of her. She will promise to some crowns and kingdoms, if they will but take her advice. Yet many hath she brought to the halter, and ten thousand times more to hell. Oh, said Mr. Stanfast, what a mercy it is that I did resist her, for whither might she have drawn me? Whither, said Greatheart, nay, none but God knows whither, but in general, to be sure, she would have drawn thee into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. T'was she that set Absalom against his father, and Jeroboam against his master. T'was she that persuaded Judas to sell his lord, and that prevailed with Demas to forsake the godly pilgrim's life. 
None can tell of the mischief that she does. She makes variance betwixt rulers and subjects, betwixt parents and children, betwixt neighbor and neighbor, betwixt a husband and his wife, betwixt a man and himself, betwixt the flesh and the heart. Wherefore, good master, stand fast, be as your name is, and when you have done all, stand. At this discourse there was among the pilgrims a mixture of joy and trembling, but at length they break out and sang. What danger is the pilgrim in? How many are his foes? How many ways there are to sin? No living mortal knows. Some of the ditch shy are, yet can, lie tumbling in the mire. Some, though they shun the frying pan, do leap into the fire. Chapter 10 Death bitter to the flesh, but sweet to the soul. After this I beheld until they were come into the land of Beulah, where the sun shines night and day. Here, because they were weary, they betook themselves a while to rest, and because this country was common for pilgrims, and because the orchards and vineyards that were here belonged to the king of the celestial country, therefore they were licensed to make bold with any of his things. But a little while soon refreshed them here, for the bells did ring, and the trumpets continually sound so melodiously that they could not sleep and yet they received as much refreshing as if they had slept their sleep never so soundly. Here also the noise of them that walked in the streets was, More pilgrims are come to town. And another would answer, saying, And so many went over the water, and were let in at the golden gates today. They would cry again, There is now a legion of shining ones just come to town, by which we know that there are more pilgrims upon the road. For here they come to wait for them, and comfort them after all their sorrow. Then the pilgrims got up and walked to and fro. But how were their ears now filled with heavenly voices, and their eyes delighted with celestial visions? In this land they heard nothing, saw nothing, felt nothing, smelt nothing, tasted nothing that was offensive to their stomach or mind. Only when they tasted of the water of the river over which they were to go, they thought that it tasted a little bitterish to the palate, but it proved sweeter when it was down. In this place there was a record kept of the names of them that had been pilgrims of old, and a history of all the famous acts that they had done. It was here also much discoursed how the river to some had had its flowings, and what ebbings it had had while others had gone over. It has been in a manner dry for some, while it was overflowed its banks for others. In this place the children of the town would go into the king's gardens and gather nosegays for the pilgrims, and bring them to them with much affection. Here also grew camphor and spikenard, and saffron, calamus, and cinnamon, with all the trees of frankincense, myrrh, and aloes, with all chief spices. With these the pilgrims' chambers were perfumed while they stayed here, and with these were their bodies anointed, to prepare them to go over the river when the time appointed was come. Now while they lay here and waited for the good hour, there was a noise in the town that there was a post come from the celestial city with matter of great importance to one Christiana, the wife of Christian, the pilgrim. So inquiry was made for her, and the house was found out where she was. So the post presented her with a letter, the contents whereof were, Hail, good woman, I bring thee tidings that the master calls for thee, and expects that thou shouldst stand in his presence, 
in clothes of immortality within these ten days. How welcome is death to them that have nothing to do but die. When he had read this letter to her, he gave her therewith a sure token that he was a true messenger, and was come to bid her make haste to be gone. The token was an arrow, with a point sharpened with love, let easily into her heart, which by degrees wrought so effectually with her, that at the time appointed she must be gone. When Christiana saw that her time was come, and that she was the first of this company that was to go over, she called for Mr. Greatheart her guide, and told him how matters were. So he told her he was heartily glad of the news, and could have been glad had the post come for him. Then she bid that he should give advice how all things should be prepared for her journey. So he told her, saying, Thus and thus it must be, and we that survive will accompany you to the riverside. Then she called for her children, and gave them her blessing, and told them that she had read with comfort the mark that was set in their foreheads, and was glad to see them with her there, and that they had kept their garments so white. Lastly, she bequeathed to the poor that little she had, and commanded her sons and her daughters to be ready against the messenger should come for them. When she had spoken these words to her guide and to her children, she called Mr. Valiant for truth, and said unto him, Sir, you have in all these places shown yourself true-hearted. Be faithful unto death, and my king will give you a crown of life. I would also entreat you to have an eye to my children, and if at any time you see them faint, speak comfortably to them. For my daughters, my son's wives, they have been faithful, and a fulfilling of the promise upon them will be their end. But she gave Mr. Standfast a ring. Then she called for old Mr. Honest and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. Then said he, I wish you a fair day when you set out for Mount Zion, and shall be glad to see that you go over the river Dryshod. But she answered, Come wet, come dry, I long to be gone, for however the weather is in my journey, I shall have time enough when I come there to sit down and rest me and dry me. Then came in that good man, Mr. Ready to Halt, to see her. So she said to him, Thy travel hitherto has been with difficulty, but that will make thy rest the sweeter. But watch and be ready, for at an hour when you think not, the messenger may come. After him came in Mr. Despondency and his daughter much afraid, to whom she said, You ought with thankfulness forever to remember your deliverance from the hands of giant despair and out of doubting castle. The effect of that mercy is that you are brought with safety hither. Be ye watchful and cast away fear. Be sober and hope to the end. Then she said to Mr. Feeblemind, Thou wast delivered from the mouth of giant Slaygood, that thou mightest live in the light of the living forever, and see thy king with comfort. Only I advise thee to repent thee of thy aptness to fear and doubt of his goodness, before he sins for thee, lest thou shouldst, when he comes, be forced to stand before him for that fault with blushing. Now the day drew on that Christiana must be gone, so the road was full of people to see her take her journey. But behold, all the banks beyond the river were full of horses and chariots, which were come down from above to accompany her to the city gate. So she came forth and entered the river, with a beckon of farewell to those that followed her to the riverside. The last words that she was heard to say were, 
I come, Lord, to be with thee and bless thee. So her children and friends returned to their place, for that those that waited for Christiana had carried her out of their sight. So she went and called, and entered in at the gate with all the ceremonies of joy that her husband Christian had done before her. At her departure her children wept, but Mr. Greatheart and Mr. Valiant played upon the well-tuned cymbal and harp for joy. So all departed to their respective places. In the process of time there came a post to the town again, and his business was with Mr. Ready to Halt. So he inquired him out and said to him, I am come to thee from him whom thou hast loved and followed, though upon crutches. And my message is to tell thee that he expects thee at his table to sup with him in his kingdom the next day after Easter. Wherefore prepare thyself for this journey. Then he also gave him a token that he was a true messenger, saying, I have broken thy golden bowl and loosed thy silver cord. After this, Mr. Ready to Halt called for his fellow pilgrims and told them, saying, I am sent for, and God shall surely visit you also. So he desired Mr. Valiant to make his will. And because he had nothing to bequeath to them that should survive him, but his crutches and his good wishes, therefore thus he said, These crutches I bequeath to my son that shall tread in my steps, with a hundred warm wishes that he may prove better than I have done. Then he thanked Mr. Greatheart for his conduct and kindness, and so addressed himself to his journey. When he came to the brink of the river, he said, Now I shall have no more need of these crutches, since yonder are chariots and horses for me to ride on. The last words he was heard to say were, Welcome life. So he went on his way. After this, Mr. Feeblemind had tidings brought to him that the post sounded his horn at his chamber door. Then he came in and told him, saying, I am come to tell thee that thy master has need of thee, and that in a very little time thou must behold his face in brightness. And take this as a token of the truth of my message. Those that look out at the windows shall be darkened. Then Mr. Feeblemind called for his friends, and told them what Aaron had been brought unto him, and what token he had received of the truth of the message. Then he said, since I have nothing to bequeath to any, to what purpose should I make a will? As for my feeble mind, that I will leave behind me, for that I shall have no need of in the place whither I go, nor is it worth bestowing upon the poorest pilgrim. Wherefore, when I am gone, I desire that you, Mr. Valiant, would bury it in a dunghill. This done, and the day being come on which he was to depart, he entered the river as the rest. His last words were, Hold out faith and patience. So he went over to the other side. When the days had many of them passed away, Mr. Despondency was sent for, for a post was come and brought this message to him. Trembling man, these are to summon thee to be ready with thy king by the next Lord's day to shout for joy for thy deliverance from all thy doubtings. And said the messenger, that my message is true, take this for a proof. So he gave him the grasshopper to be a burden unto him. Now Mr. Despondency's daughter, whose name was much afraid, said, when she heard what was done, that she would go over with her father. Then Mr. Despondency said to his friends, Myself and my daughter, you know what we have been, and how troublesomely we have behaved ourselves in every company. My will and my daughter's is this, that our desponds and slavish fears be by no man received 
from the day of our departure forever. For I know that after my death they will offer themselves to others. For, to be plain with you, they are ghosts, the which we entertained when we first began to be pilgrims, and could never shake them off after. And they will walk about and seek entertainment of the pilgrims. But for our sakes, shut ye the doors upon them. When the time was come for them to depart, they went to the brink of the river. The last words of Mr. Despondency were, Farewell night, welcome day. His daughter went through the river singing, but none could understand what she said. Then it came to pass a while after that there was a post in the town that inquired for Mr. Honest. So he came to his house where he was and delivered to his hand these lines. Thou art commanded to be ready against this day, seven night, to present thyself before thy Lord at his father's house. And for a token that my message is true, all thy daughters of music shall be brought low. Then Mr. Honest called for his friends and said unto them, I die, but shall make no will. As for my honesty, it shall go with me. Let them that come after me be told this. When the day that he was to be gone was come, he addressed himself to go to the river. Now the river at that time overflowed its banks in some places, but Mr. Honest in his lifetime has spoken to one good conscience to meet him there, the which also he did, and lent him his hand, and so helped him over. The last words of Mr. Honest were, Grace reigns. So he left the world. After this it was noised abroad that Mr. Valiant for Truth was taken with a summons by the same post as the other, and had this for a token that the summons was true, that his pitcher was broken at the fountain. When he understood it, he called for his friends and told them of it. Then, then said he, I am going to my father's, and though with great difficulty I am got hither, yet now I do not repent me of all the trouble I have been at to arrive where I am. My sword I give to him that shall succeed me in my pilgrimage, and my courage and skill to him that can get it. My marks and scars I carry with me to be a witness for me that I have fought his battles who now will be my rewarder. When the day that he must go hence was come, many accompanied him to the riverside, into which as he went he said, Death, where is thy sting? And as he went down deeper he said, Grave, where is thy victory? So he passed over, and all the trumpets sounded for him on the other side. Then there came forth a summons for Mr. Standfast. This Mr. Standfast was he whom the pilgrims found upon his knees in the enchanted ground. For the post brought it him open in his hands. The contents thereof were, that he must prepare for a change of life, for his master was not willing that he should be so far from him any longer. At this Mr. Standfast was put into a muse. Nay, said the messenger, you need not doubt the truth of my message, for here is a token of the truth thereof. Thy wheel is broken at the cistern. Then he called to him Mr. Greatheart, who was their guide, and said unto him, Sir, although it was not my hap to be much in your good company in the days of my pilgrimage, yet since the time I knew you, you have been profitable to me. When I came from home, I left behind me a wife and five small children. Let me entreat you at your return, for I know that you will go and return to your master's house, in hopes that you may yet be a conductor to more of the holy pilgrims, that you send to my family, and let them be acquainted with all that hath or shall happen unto me. 
Tell them, moreover, of my happy arrival to this place and of the present and late blessed condition that I am in. Tell them also of Christian and Christiana his wife and how she and her children came after her husband. Tell them also what a happy end she made and whither she is gone. I have little or nothing to send to my family unless it be my prayers and tears for them of which it will suffice that you acquaint them if peradventure they may prevail. When Mr. Stanfast had thus set things in order and the time being come for him to haste away he also went down to the river. Now there was a great calm at that time in the river wherefore Mr. Stanfast when he was about halfway in, stood a while and talked to his companions that had waited upon him thither. And he said, This river had been a terror to many. Yea, the thoughts of it have also frighted me. But now methinks I stand easy. My foot is fixed upon that which the feet of the priests that bear the Ark of the Covenant stood while Israel went over Jordan. The waters indeed are to the palate bitter and to the stomach cold. Yet the thought of what I am going to and of the conduct that waits for me on the other side, does lie as a glowing coal at my heart. I see myself now at the end of my journey. My toilsome days are ended. I am going to see that head which was crowned with thorns, and that face which was spit upon for me. I have formerly lived by hearsay and faith, but now I go where I shall live by sight, and shall be with him in whose company I delight myself. I have loved to hear my Lord spoken of, And wherever I have seen the print of his shoe in the earth, there I have coveted to set my foot to. His name has been to me as a civet box, yea, sweeter than all perfume. His voice to me has been most sweet, and his countenance I have more desired than they that have most desired the light of the sun. His word I did use together for my food and for antidotes against my faintings. He has held me and hath kept me from mine iniquities. Yea, my steps hath he strengthened in his way. Now while he was thus in discourse, his countenance changed. His strong man bowed under him, and after he had said, Take me, for I come unto thee, he ceased to be seen of them. But glorious it was to see how open the region was filled with horses and chariots, with trumpeters and pipers, with singers and players on stringed instruments, to welcome the pilgrims as they went up and followed one another in at the beautiful gate of the city. As for Christian's children, the four boys that Christiana brought with her, with their wives and children, I did not stay where I was till they were gone over. Also, since I came away, I heard one say that they were yet alive, and so would be for the increase of the church in that place where they were for a time. Shall it be my lot to go that way again, I may give those that desire it an account of what I hear am silent about. Meantime, I bid my reader adieu. The Pilgrim's Progress, the author's apology for his book. When at first I took my pen in hand, thus for to write, I did not understand that I at all should make a little book in such a mode, nay, I had undertook to make another, which when almost done, before I was aware, I this begun. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. 
Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle is adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.